Today is February 23rd, 2020. Welcome to Common Ground. The sermon series we are in is called The Gifts of Community. And this sermon is called The Gift of Generosity. The speaker is Chris Romine. Enjoy. Cool. Well, I have a few comments. I really mean few. Um, I struggled with this sermon mightily. Uh, Y'all who are relatively new um, have seen me address sermons more topically the last couple months uh, for the keen ear or for those of you who I sit down with and kind of unpack the the back end of a sermon. You'll see it's just saturated with scripture, but I'm not always throwing scripture out. Uh, So thematically, we've been going after this sermon series uh, more big picture stuff rather than kind of, kind of finding a central Bible verse. That also pairs well with our small groups that are meeting Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, the way that the Bible is weaponized and used against us, the way that one-liners from the Bible, Bible are pilfered uh, and used to explain all sorts of stuff that they actually don't explain if you read the context. And so I've been careful recently, at least in this series, to not not quote the Bible too much, uh, which might seem weird for some of y'all, and I agree, we can talk about that if you'd like to talk. Uh, But here's something that I really struggled with um, in this sermon series, uh, that the Bible talks about prayer about 500 times. Um, If someone told you uh, something 500 times, you're probably going to pay attention to it. Um, The Bible says something about uh, finding your life or being saved um, about a thousand times. Um, So if you're paying attention to the Bible, uh, what is God maybe trying to do through us? Uh, You're probably going to stick your ear into what the Bible says about prayer 500 times and how to find life about a thousand times. Uh, You're going, if you want to be against uh, the LGBTQ community, you can find about seven passages that are called clobber passages. Um, they're all taken terribly out of context and have nothing to do with sexuality and yet are thrown against uh, the LGBTQ community as rocks. So we're talking seven um, for excluding LGBTQ folks from uh, participation in a community like this. We're talking a thousand when it comes to finding life. We're talking 500 when it comes to praying, and we're talking over 2,000, and then when you get to the New Testament, one in every four verses about how to rightly function with your income. The overwhelming part of this sermon is how how terribly discussed income is in the church and in this country, and how it is the number one theme in Scripture. I think the most difficult thing, and I will probably lose some folks at Common Ground because of it, is that we need to talk honestly about our balance sheet. Because Jesus, of all people, says, uh, where your eyes are, your heart also will be. Jesus says, you can't serve mammon, which is the God of money and privilege, and serve the God that I come in the name of. 
And so as I confronted this sermon, I just struggled tremendously because it is overwhelmingly abundantly clear what we are to do with money. And I struggle terribly to ever say it's overwhelmingly abundantly clear about anything in the Bible. I mean, we're spending a lot of time making things underwhelming and deconstructed. And yet, every single place that you turn to, you cannot go into the New Testament and not, maybe not every four, but not a fourth of the New Testament, learn about how you should spend your income. And what sucks about this is that none of us, myself especially, are living up to any sort of standard that Jesus asks of us. And I fear, I fear tremendously at Common Ground that we will become another church that, no pun intended, passes the buck when it comes to talking about unjust economy and our individualism in it. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. When I'm healthy, which I happen to be now, I, you should have got, y'all should have seen me last fall or maybe you noticed I was a wreck, but now I'm pretty good. So, so hear this from like an eight Enneagram because, uh, because I think that when I look at the Bible and the most common theme in scripture and the most talked about thing in Jesus's ministry is income. And then we watch Jesus walk around with no income and tell everyone who has income to give it away. We really struggle today to show any sort of generosity in this country. And the problem with that is not that we should be shamed into being generous. But the problem is that when churches don't talk about what keeps us from being generous, then what else are we to do? If we're not going to independently and on our own, which is the problem that of the first place, like the first problem of figuring out how we're going to spend our budget in the first place, if we don't together talk about it, then we have passed the buck. Jocelyn is going to be taking over the balance sheet, so to speak, of Common Ground. We're going to be showing some interesting data. Here's what the data shows. 13 people give to Common Ground of 110. Thank you, 13. Where are you all at, 97? America gives away less than 2% in generosity. What did we learn from Bernie Sanders? One person has the wealth of about 123 Americans. That's a problem. I don't think that billionaires and millionaires are part of the economic plan that God has laid out for humanity. And I'm, I tend to believe Jesus when Jesus says, it's gonna be easier to walk through the eye of a needle than for someone like you to lose your wealth. I struggle with this sermon because I am not for a second suggesting that y'all are sitting on bags of cash that you otherwise would give generously if not for me naming this sermon. I am completely confident that every single one in this room is either in debt or has their budget completely maxed. I also want you to hear me that that is a choice that we've made. 
Most of us, not all of us, most of us. Part of the most difficult thing in living in the West is the God of comfort, which is some ways that mammon is translated. We find the gyms that we want to go to. We find the sort of non-negotiables that we want in our apartment. We find the sort of mileage limit that we want in our cars. We figure out the ways that we want to travel to that job. We figure out the number of times we want to eat out. We figure out the sort of clothes that are going to communicate who we are to the rest of the world. And by the time we get there, we run out of money. And then pastor goes, hey, let's talk about generosity. And this gets real weird. Last week, if you weren't here, is one of my favorite sermons to preach. Um, I don't always like the sermons I preached. Last one, last week, I happened to, because we got to name. And this is also the gift of being an eight. The issues of the issues that inhibit generosity. This week is supposed to be a conversation about the gifts of generosity. So I'll list a few, and then let's get talking. So please, as I talk, think about some of these things and respond. What is the gift of generosity? We connect with ourselves. I'll just give you them on the front end. Number one, we connect better with ourselves. Number two, we connect better with others. And number three, we connect with God. That's my whole sermon. We connect with ourselves, we connect with others, we connect with God. Pretty simple, right? Okay, how do we connect with ourselves? By remembering where we come from. The theologian just named that we come from dust. Well, she didn't name that, but she's drawing on a passage. We come from dust. We're made up of nitrogen. We return to the earth and give back to the earth that which is hers. The time that we have on us is God-breathed, according to Genesis 2 and Genesis 1. And we have very little time as we remain in need, fragile, interdependent, and God-focused. That's who we are. We're a people who die 30 years from now, 50 years from now, 60 years from now, five years from now. In Jill's case, as she comes to terms with death right now, her grandmother who's passing right now from terminal four cancer, a friend who is working at Facebook in Silicon Valley, a friend of mine from my last church who just got terminal three cancer all of a sudden just wiped life. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer when I talk about the fragility of our breath, but when I talk about the fragility of our breath and then I look at our balance sheets, it's just a weird combination. How do we connect with ourselves? We, we resist the fears of not having enough. We break addictions that have been handed to us. If you can imagine that we were born into an economy that put an IV in us and put scarcity into that IV, and by the time we were sentient, and by the time we got to high school, and all the narratives that we were given about self-sufficiency and self-dependence, and by the time we went to college and decided what we wanted to do, and by the time we moved to New York and thought what that life would look like, we were addicted to something other than what Jesus invites us into. But to not name the addiction would also be problematic. I'm addicted. You're addicted. We're addicted. 
to comfort, to individualism, to the thought that our income is ours to spend, the thought that our income is private to us, the thought that our economic decisions, what we purchase, has no influence on another person, when it is the most interdependent connection that we have with any other human on earth. How do we connect with ourselves? When we are generous with others, we are most generous with ourselves. If anyone is sitting here in this room shaming themselves, or better yet, if anyone is sitting in this room going, I'm okay, both of those things are lies. If you, who lies better to me than me? Who knows me better than to tell myself some bullshit about why I don't need to give any more to anything? about how hard my economic life is right now. I am the best communicator of fear and scarcity to myself. I have to imagine that it's true of you too. Damn it, I said this was gonna be short. <laughs> when we are generous with others, we start being generous with ourselves. Have you ever been told how much you don't have, how much you need to save for the just-in-case year, what kind of house you want to buy, what kind of cell phone you want to get. Are those things good news? Does anyone feel good when you save up out of scarcity? I don't. I hate it. It stresses me out. I'm hard on myself. I work harder. I look for jobs that pay more. I, I, I crunch numbers more. I look at my budget. I look at my bills. I look at my student loans, $105,000. When we connect with ourselves through generosity, it makes us less self-righteous. Kendall, this one is for you and for me. Uh, or this one, it's not for you. It's in response to what you said. <laughs> Views without participation is self-righteousness. If we're a Bernie person who every time Bernie talks, we're like, yes, equity across economic strata, rob the rich, give it to the poor, but we aren't sharing our capital? Come on. Let's just be honest for a second. There's an inherent, listen to the word, inherited disconnect. If you're, like me, a fan of Liz Warren breaking up banks and destroying billionaires and millionaires towards big structural change, Carlos, but don't want to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to cut right through the walls that build up economic independence in the name of manon, mammon, then your temporary nature on earth, which will be forgotten, makes your finances a god. And your inherent and inherited disconnect is showing. Minus two. What does generosity do for us? It connects us with others. Why? As the video showed us, by needing others and others needing us. How much of us, how many of us love to be needed by others? <laughs> See, that was kind of unfair because um, some of you were raising it sarcastically. But nevertheless, some of us needed by others. How many want others to need us? Do some Enneagram stuff there too. Yes. 
There was actually a bunch of twos hands that went up, yeah. <laughs> by choosing to do life with others through good times and bad, by being generous, we connect with humanity and we become more human. Third way, we connect with God. By allowing the biggest thing in our world right now to be a blessing to the world rather than a fear that owns us, Christian, follower of Jesus, follower of the divine. We walk God's way, Jesus. We realize that what we have is not ours. Jesus, in Matthew 25, right above the theologian's quote, or where she quoted it, the parable of the bags of gold, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a, a person on the journey who calls servants to entrust their wealth with the servants. One gets five, one gets two, one gets one, etc. Y'all ever heard this? After a long time, the master of those serv servants comes back to see what, he ha what they have done with his wealth. One says, I invested it. Two bags of gold also came in for the two that I had. Well done. The one with five, five came back. Master's happy. Then the man who received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man har harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. I held on to it. I considered it mine. I did what I thought I needed to do most with the thing that I considered to be mine. See, here's what belongs to you. Jesus replies, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew the harvest was coming. You knew that this thing that you were sowing was not yours. You should at least put the money in a deposit with bankers. It would have at least received interest. So take the bag of gold and get away from me. For whoever has been given anything, they will have more abundance. And whoever does not treat that abundance will be thrown out as a worthless servant. And then he goes on to talk about the sheep and the goats. Jesus is quite harsh when it comes to talking about wealth. And then he turns to people a couple chapters earlier who have no wealth and says, therefore I say to you, he's saying this to people who are already living in poverty. Don't worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink, what's on your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and body and clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They're happy. Yet, your God feeds them. Are you not, Christian, worth much more in your life? I can go on and on and on. God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today, and tomorrow it's thrown away. Clean your faith up. Generosity makes us remember that we're not that important, and that should not give us shame or doubt or fear. That should make us throw some money around once in a while for others. I got one more for you, and then we're going to wrap up and talk a little bit. This one's good. Jesus, Matthew 23. How terrible, I want you to pay attention to this, how terrible it will be for you legal experts and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You give God a tenth of mint and of dill and of cumin, but you forget about the more important matters of the law, justice, peace, and faith. 
Here's what Jesus says next. So don't give your 10% of mint. No, he doesn't say that. You ought to give the 10th. You did that right. But you also forgot about those important matters. Do both, you blind guides. You filter out an ant, but you swallow a camel. Do both. Can you imagine us cutting up 10% of our mint, dill, and cumin, and the son of man coming and going, yeah, you should have been doing that too. But have you noticed God's heart? Are you paying attention to God's heart? Friends, generosity, debt, is the most pernicious thing in America right now. It is something that's owning us. As gently as I can say, I would like to create unsafe space in common ground for consumerism. With zero judgment and zero shame, if this is not a place where you feel like plugging into the financial life, communal life, and operational life, this place will get annoying. And I will help you find a new church. The same way that this place is not safe space for white supremacy or heteronormativity, this place is not a safe space for individualized capital or close-handedness of resources. I'm saying right now, which is not a growth strategy, this is not a safe place for close-handedness of resources. It is a hill we will die on. At some point, I will sit down and say, hey, would you like to help set up? Would you like to give some of your money? Would you like to give some of your time? Would you like to be a little bit uncomfortable? Why? Because as I said last week, my, 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 uh, my, my uh, compensation, <laughs> my salary, is not covered by any one of y'all. I'm good for the next four years. What I'd like to do is create such an economy where we can actually pay some people's health debt off or pay some student loans off or loan at a lower interest rate than what people are being loaned at, or help when someone hits rent financial uh, emergencies, or give food. But we can't do that when we have 13 people giving. It's the final story and then I'll wrap up. A story that broke me was a PhD student at Duke who came to my seminary and talked about a Eucharist um, practice that took place in Zimbabwe. And just imagine this for a second because it will jack all of our ideas about privatized uh, income completely up. A bunch of farmers in an agricultural center in Zimbabwe all gather and go to church on those Sundays. Each Sunday, the farmer takes what they need for their family and they bring the rest of the harvest to the altar and they put it down on the altar. Every farmer does this. Then every farmer comes to church with the community in need and people walk up in the name of Jesus and take what they need and go and sit down. This would be the equivalent of every one of us lift, listing our budget and what we made and what we spend it on. Tell me if anyone in this room is super excited about that. You know who would? the people who make the least amount of money in Common Ground. And I don't need to tell you who wouldn't be comfortable. Friends, for our togetherness, we need to be generous. For us to know ourselves, we need to be generous. For us to know God and remember that we are but dust breathed 
by God into life, that we must give away what we've been given. And if someone gave you a pizza and it had 10 slices, and someone asked you for one slice and you said, nah, I don't got that. I don't have a slice for you. I need all these 10. I think you'd be embarrassed by that moment. I'd be embarrassed by that moment. And yet if I were to sit up here, someone else were to sit up here and say, give 10%, not even to Common Ground, but to something else, you would go, I don't have that sort of thing. I don't think 10% is the number. I think you need to go home with God and talk about it. But I can tell you that churches won't move forward, that America won't move forward, that the Christian faith won't move forward, and that we may not find ourselves in it if we don't find a way to get ourselves out of the financial consumerism that has depended on our, our expenditures and has taken away our ethic. And to that I say amen.